Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Nursing Handover podcast. You have me, Jerry, and I've got the lovely Diane with me. Hey girl, how are you doing? I am not too bad, what can I say? I'm glad, what are we, Tuesday? Yeah. So, a few more days for the weekend, guys. The way I can't go on the weekend from Tuesday, so it's funny. <laughs> but I can't complain, like, I'm good, things are good. Yeah, it is what it is. How are you? Me, I'm good. Um, no, it's been quite poorly this last weekend, so it's been a bit tough. But apart from that, I can't complain. Life's good. He's getting better. Yeah, it's kind it's of living life, life really. Mm-hmm. But I do have to apologize, guys. We weren't here last week due to some personal reasons, but all is well, and we're back to give you more. But one thing I will say is, I know the last episode, I was very, very, I probably sound like more so vented about life and just not being able to manage. But I think it's a period period that I think everyone goes through at different parts of their life. Mm. Not necessarily a cry for help. It's just you need a bit of structure. And when life gets on top of you, you've got to be able to step back and reflect and see what works better for you. And that's pretty much that, really. But yeah. So yeah, that's been pretty much it. We're back this week. We're better than ever. You know, we've got some good things coming out, coming up soon. But yeah. Oh, but then, you know what? I actually can't believe we're in November. You know what? The year started so quickly. And I feel like since we hit 2020... Every year, every month, every quarter we go through it, it just ex- accelerated. Honestly, like the whole year has flown by, like we're about to enter 2023. So it's made me start thinking about like my resolutions. Usually I always say this and I never actually follow through, but I want to be very intentional with what I bring in into my life, my family life and work life, friends life. 100%. All that, all that jazz. Like, I want to be very intentional, and I really want to get into like manifesting. I'm just sorting my life out, really. Honestly, I think I've seen more than anything how powerful that is, mm-hmm. and the tongue and what you speak over yourself. So I definitely second that. I definitely want to walk into the new year and even be intentional now, the first day of yeah. November, and be positive and speak over myself. I feel like if you speak of yourself and, and talk those things into your life and really I think it's a law of attraction and so things like that yeah why can't, why can't we have them why not I don't know but I, you know I don't know but I feel like it's it's a part of me I need to break like I just want a better life for myself I want to be happy I want to be able to say to myself like you know you're a pretty woman you're good you're this you're that and I just feel like sometimes the negative thoughts, they creep in and then, you know, it hinders all the goodness that you've got going for you. So, so yeah. But you're right, from the first... Well, today is the 1st of November. Obviously, this podcast will come out on the 3rd. But still, better late than never. So let's start from now. Mm-hmm. If anything, it just gives me great practice for when January the 1st comes. Right, tell me about it. exactly <laughs> that. Exactly, but yeah, but I think you know what. As you all know, the nursing ballot for the RCL is about to end. So actually, no. So by the time this comes out, it would have ended. 
So I'm really hoping people have managed to get their postal votes in. It is a shame it's only open to RCN members. I personally think it should be open to all nurses and midwives. Agreed, and agreed. All those everywhere. But anyway, that's a different conversation for a different day. I just hope that we have enough votes to strike so that, you know, we can get our word out there. Because as we all know, things need to change within the NHS. And if they don't change now, when will they change? People are just going to suffer. And when I mean people, I mean the patients, us, the staff, literally everyone. This is it. So by the time you listen to this, I hope you did you did vote and you voted to strike because we need to be out there doing what we need to do. Yeah, 100%. This is the one time that we have where the spotlight is on us. Mm-hmm. It's an to shine a light and really expose and bring to the to the brim, bring to the top of the surface what's really going wrong. Um, yeah. And it's not just about pay. Pay is just one element of all of this issue. Yeah. You know, it's about quality of life. It's about incentives to nurse. It's about the support nurses are getting as students when they are qualifying. You know, it's how we're being supported when we study and getting extra qualifications. There's no recognition mm-hmm. financially let alone physically or mentally, let's expect it to keep doing and relying on our good nature. And we run out. We run out. But you know what? I think that also just coincides with today's topic, which is safe staffing. Let me put this out there. How many of you guys, not even just in the work in the nursing field, I'm gonna put this out to everyone because I know many people different many people from different backgrounds also listen to us too. Wherever you work, how is the staffing? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it satisfactory? And with whatever your staffing levels are, are you able to work adequately? If so, that's great. However, I can speak for myself and probably Diane. For the fields that we work in, they're very they're highly understaffed. The workloads are utterly ridiculous. And I can't lie, it just makes me think my pin is at risk. I'm telling you. Because if there isn't safe staffing, how do you give this world-class care that we're supposed to have here in the NHS? Or in the UK, should I say? To me, first things first is... In order for patient care to be top quality, you need the service to be well-staffed. A hundred percent. You know, we're talking about the ratio of nurses to patients. We're talking about, um, you know, accuracy of these patients. Accuracy, we mean like how complex they are mm-hmm. or how generalised their condition is, for example. Yeah. And if you don't have enough staff, you're heightening the risk on that in that environment, no matter what for sure and it's scary because especially like if I think back to when we trained yeah and all the different placements that we worked yes they were busy however I don't think they were heavily stretched as we are now no because right now I'm thinking back to our adult placement so I worked yeah I'm not going to describe a hospital (laughs) so I worked on a care of the elderly a gastroenterology care of the elderly ward each nurse had about 12 patients and that was the standard obviously I'm not an adult nurse I don't know what your ratios are meant to be but it seemed like everyone was okay with having 
12 patients and you'd have a HCA that would help you. Which to me, I can't lie, I think that's such a heavy load. Like, you have eight patients, 12 patients' notes to write at the end of the day. Like, core blimey. It's a lot. But maybe the acuity wasn't as much. Whereas now, and like within pediatrics, the most you will have is a one to four ratio, absolute most. But what we're seeing everywhere is that because services are stretched and people are leaving because they are tired and just completely over working for the NHS, working in the health sector, that they want to go and work elsewhere. So then that's leaving the people that are still on shop floor with the capacity, no, not capacity, acuity of, for example, one to six or one to eight or one to 14, one to 16. That's not safe because God forbid something happens you've got all sorts happening like you've got the crash like the crash buzzers going off you've got something else happening somewhere else how are you meant to manage like it's just i just don't get it like what are, what are we meant to do i mean my my worry is the people who should be bothered by all this stuff where are they they're not bothered my, my question at home mate they're sitting cushy at home, acting like nothing's happening, or pretending they don't see that you know staffing levels are inadequate. Like, okay, my one thing is, yeah, as you guys know, like I love working in A and E, and like obviously despite everything else, um, but when nothing else can happen, where does everyone, where does everyone get sent to? A and E. So you may be on a shift, yeah. There may be five nurses on a shift. I'm talking about paediatrics. Five nurses on a shift and all of a sudden you've got 50 patients that come in all at once. Is that safe? No. Because if now now you need to go to recess, that leaves four nurses to 49 patients or four nurses to 50, depending on how you're counting it. How is that safe? But yeah, you know, it's emergency services, so we start to deal with it. It's what it is. But it doesn't make it right. Imagine on the ward, on a ward that can only fit 24 patients, well, you're, you're trying to fit in 48. It just can't happen. No. But can't. how would you be able to deliver the, the the greatest world-class care that we speak oh so highly about when basic staffing has not been sorted? And I think that's the worst part, is the neglect, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the neglect that we're seeing. Because... Like, I can only imagine. So say if you were in NICU, yeah? Obviously, right now, I'm speaking acutely. Don't worry, I'm going to get to community. I'm going to get there. So say you're in NICU, and, okay, how many nurses would you rough, roughly have on shift? Oh, God. Um, okay, so if you're going to be... So NICU, according to BAPM standards, which is the British Association, I think, perinatal, med- perinatal medicine, should be that ICU should be one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Um, HU I think can be two to one, and Depending I think acuity though, no. Yeah, and yeah. then special care. I think you can take what three, four babies. So mm-hmm. let's say in special care, if every room is is full, so you've got eight babies, eight babies, eight babies. Wait, each gonna... person? No, so eight babies in the room. Okay, okay. Let's say you've got maybe two, a nurse and a nurse, she nurse, a nurse, she nurse, she nurse, a nurse, she nurse, she nurse. It's about six people there. Mm-hmm. High dependency, let's say there's um, one, two, three, four, five, six, two, four, six. That could be two nurses there, maybe two, two. Everyone yeah. taking the three, no, three maybe, because it's two, 
one to two, one to two. So now what, what are we at now? We're at nine nurses. Mm-hmm. And then in ITU, you can have, again, if it's room four, it takes four babies. So that's two nurses in there. So now where are we at now? We're at eight nurses. You, no, we're at 10. Cause, no, we're at 11. Because we had nine before. Okay, so we're at 11 nurses. Room three, so I'm talking about it in my old NICU because anyone can speak about it. Room three, again, two another two nurses, maybe. So mm-hmm. we're looking at... 13. Um, 13. Room two, the biggest room, has about can take about six babies. So that's another three nurses in there. That's 15 nurses. And then go to room one, the big one of the bigger rooms. You can have one, two, three, four, five, six in there as well. So that's another three nurses. So 18 nurses, right? For roughly how many... Sorry, I was, I was counting the nurses and not the patients. So that's 18 nurses to around 30 patients. About that. And don't forget, there's no nurse in charge on that. There's no floats on that either. Okay. So, okay. So for for the layman... Hearing this, they're going to think, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, you've got 18 nurses to 30 babies. However, when you look at the acuity, and my key word being acuity. So Diane's talking about neonatal intensive care. Neonates has, neonatal intensive care would usually have actual NICU, HDU, which is high dependency, and a special care, which is, you know, you step down and you're on your way out, essentially. Yeah. So you also got to look at the acuity Say the babies that are in actual NICU need like a lot of like a lot of interventions, a lot of stuff that you need high skilled nurses to do that for. Mm-hmm. If you're short, how are you going to be able to manipulate and make sure certain people can do certain things? Well, yeah. So this is the issue. I mean, the complexity. So an ICU baby is usually on a ventilator. Mm-hmm. They usually need to have their observations checked every hour. They have medication due. They, they're on IV fluids. They're mm-hmm. on pain management. They might be on some sedation. They could be in humidity, depending on the, the gestation of the baby. Um, all that needs focus. It needs a practitioner to really focus on that child and mm-hmm. that family. Okay? Now, let's say somebody goes off sick. You now have two patients that need a nurse. The float now comes in. The float is an extra nurse who goes to each room and helps where they need help. Yeah. And also the person that carries the crash bleed. So when I said the crash bleed, if you're not medical, is if there's an emergency, they will be the, able to go. They will go to the emergency. They will attend. So now the crash bleed has to be given to the nurse in charge. And that person has to step in on the shop floor, which we'd call the, the ward or the clinical area, community area, and take the patients from the person who's gone off sick. So already you see now when there's less staff how things have to change very quickly, very rapidly. Mm-hmm. If you start off without even having that float, without even having those spare hands, and yet your your ward is full, already there's a risk. Already you are skating on thin ice. Already everybody's pin is at risk. Already, yeah. I mean, and like with that being said, that's just NICU. I'm not even talking about like a general ward. I can only guess like roughly, like I said earlier, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> an adult ward you'd usually have for an adult patient obviously it depends on the type of ward but I know care of the elderly and stuff like that you literally have like 12 to 14 patients one nurse to one HCA if you're lucky yeah so what happens if that one HCA and that one nurse goes off exactly some of these wards would legit only have like three nurses on shift 
No, or let's say, for example, you're, you have a HTA who is special in one patient. I would say special thing, as in they have to one-to-one that patient the entire shift. Everywhere they go, they have to follow them, recording OBS, you know, giving meds, whatever. But they have to be that one patient. You've lost somebody for another four patients. Mm-hmm. You like, know, what do we do then? The ward to go for a scan. That was off the ward for a couple for an hour or two, mm-hmm. 30 minutes. They're, they're not there in body. And don't get me wrong, yeah, we manage. You find a way and you get through it. Not saying that that's correct at all, but you do you do what you can with what you've got because at the end of the day, that, that's literally all you've got. Your patients aren't going anywhere. But my main thing is, where the current NHS is, we're just made to feel like this is now the norm and it shouldn't be the norm. I shouldn't have to go to work thinking like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with stuff in? Like, don't mm. get me wrong. Like I said, I know I keep justifying that I like Amy, but, you know, you have your days that you come and half your team is gone. Or you have your days that you're legit the only start, you're the only permanent nurse. What it's do you true. do then? And the rest is all agency. And, you know, you're not qualified to take charge. What happens then? No one else is able to help you. You find a way. I'm it's not like- saying it's right at all, but at the end of the day, we've got a job to do. My question is, how long do I have to keep riding out like that? Because my pin's important to me, the same way it's important to Diane, the same way it's important to all of you guys. How long do you need to stand and accept this for? And anyone that's listening, you all know how how hard we work to get our pins and how much is drummed into us that we need to, to protect it at all costs. Honestly, like... I think back to uni, I was talking to some of my colleagues today about it, I think back to uni and there were so many times I said I was quitting the course. Mm. I worked damn hard for my pin and I will surely not be letting anyone take it away because of safe staffing or because of someone else's own negligence. Yeah. And what we're seeing now is that your band sevens may be possibly going to your bed meetings and trying to fight your corner, but it's the seniors above them that are pretending like they can't hear. They're just thinking of the bodies, not looking at who can do certain things. Or, you know, if you've got a patient that needs a lot of of interventions, you've got the correct nurse for it. We've got to a point with, I think, acute care that just as long as the bodies are there, they're happy. And that's still very unsafe to our patients. Because don't get me wrong, I'm not going to hate on agency nurses at all. I think you're great because you do a wonderful job. You fill in when we're short. It is what it is, but I can only imagine that as a ward manager trying to plan and make sure stuff in, not only just a ward manager, whoever's in charge really, trying to plan and making sure things are in place are actually in place. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if they're not, who's going to have to come on shop floor? You. And then you can't actually manage because what you're actually supposed to do, you're not doing it because you're having to make up for where the clinical staff are falling short and not falling short in their ability but falling short in numbers and I think the worst part for me about safe staffing is clients notice patients notice families notice they can see they're not blind they can see that you're being rushed off your feet like I can only imagine I remember never forget one night I did an agency shift somewhere and we literally got given five patients in like I said in pediatric settings it is rare for you to end up with over four patients. Very. 
and you know four patients alone you're crying like I said adults they do different things they manage like 12 to 14 patients at a go we don't do that in peds because kids deteriorate very quickly and you know when the poo hits the fan it really hits the fan mm-hmm. and you know during the shift you're trying to think what's the best way to facilitate this like I'm not saying here like I need to come and have a break and sit down no but I need to have my break without feeling like oh I need to rush back to do x I need to rush back to do y and z it's yeah. not fair and that's also part of of the safety aspect of things being able to have enough staff on to relieve one another, being mm-hmm. able to have full adequate breaks because no one can run a 12-hour shift with no break. Your body cannot. I mean, cannot, it can't. It will shut down at some point. It's and not the, right. And your patient. I mean, it's not right. I'm not justifying it at all. It's not right, but we do it because we, we feel bad. And I, I think that's the worst part as nurses is that when we take a break, the guilt, you literally sit in your break room calculating when you go back. These meds are due. These meds are due. That one needs a nappy. Mum's going to come for skin to skin at this time. You last gave this at this time. You're literally doing quick maths on your break. You see, your brain hasn't actually left the, the area. No, you're still you're in the area. Right? I'm saying left the area. Do you know how many, like, obviously this isn't my own fault because I should be leaving the area, but how many times I've done a bank shift and it is so busy that it's actually no time for me to leave to take a break like we're literally scoffing a sandwich in the corner it's mad or eating as you run to do certain things like it shouldn't be like that at all no but as you said it's become so normalized and so accepted and and that's why I think to me you know this notion of being nurses are heroes and no we're not we're not superhuman we don't we don't drink, I don't know, what is it that Papa used to drink? Is it spinach? Yeah. Or something? You know, we don't run on Kool-Aid. We don't... I feel like, like even if we get that much spinach, I don't think it will be helping us. Let me just right? Like, we don't plug ourselves into electricity and, like, fire ourselves up to last the next couple hours. No. We, just like you and everyone else, we also physically get exhausted and mentally. I and think how can I pour into the patient and give them my best if I'm tired? You can't. I think you've also just hit the nail on the head in terms of like at the end of a working day if you've done 12 hours it's difficult like you are shattered and those days that it's so busy you actually don't finish when you're supposed to finish and you're due the next day ideally you should Ideally, you should have a 12-hour break in between each shift, but sometimes when it's chaos, you can't. So when I say a break within your 12-hour shift, as in you do your 12-hour day and you're supposed to have a 12-hour rest period, and then if you're due to come back the next day, you do. But how many of us have been there, still at work, an hour, two hours later, because, you know, sod's law, the call bell, not the call bell, the resource bell, the crash bell, sorry, has gone at like handover time and then everyone's involved. Yeah. And then you're stuck there. But and you can't walk away. You're not gonna walk away. Exactly. Or if the if the department is so understaffed and you've got I don't want to say de skilled um de skilled junior members of staff. But, yeah, but essentially junior members of staff that can't do certain things. Like what are you meant to do? Exactly. How are you supposed to facilitate that? You can't just leave them. No. 
and this is what we have to think about when we're on shop floor. This is what we think about when you get into handover and you look around and think, right, who's on? Okay, like we, we, we've got this, this shift, or okay, we'll see how we go, you know. And that's the reality. I mean, me, I'm not going to lie here. You don't know me. I don't lie on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You, you sit in there and you think, right, okay, let's see what we're going to do today. And it's not nice to have to brace yourself for a shift because you're thinking, if it hits the fan, then what are we going to do? And knowing that there's no solutions, because the problem is, is you can easily have focus groups and powwows and how should we make things better? But the problem is things aren't getting better. And our, our safety and patient safety continues to be at risk. So I guess the question is, what is the way forward here? What can we do so that patient safety or safe staffing is no longer a near miss every shift? And it's something that we can almost, what can I say, tackle. Mm-hmm. And I think even with that being said, it's also time to bring in the community side of this. Because right now we have pretty much only spoken about the acute side. And both Diane and I have both experienced both. And boy, I don't know what's worse. I mean, don't get me wrong. People leave the acute side for a better quality of life. And to some extent, there is a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But my main thing with there being with staffing issues in the community side is that pile of work it's just going to get distributed between whoever's in the team and like whereas if you were on shop floor or working yeah working acutely you can leave it and someone else is going to take over from you in the community no one's taken over from you honey when you leave at 5 p.m 6 p.m whatever time it's waiting for you that following morning and I think that's one thing about the community that is so different. You can have a really stressful time in the clinical environment, but you can leave and go home. Yeah. It's 24-hour care. You hand over to someone else and, you know, it moves mm-hmm. like a bicycle. Now, in um, community, you are the bike. So if it stops moving, you stop moving. Then you move and it all moves. That's mm-hmm. kind of how it works. So the notes you have to write, the referrals that need to be made, the follow-up that needs to be chased up it's all you and it's a different kind of demand I would say mm-hmm. um, and only if you've worked in that environment would you understand what I'm talking about yeah um, you know because especially as we're seeing it today like for example so like say my previous role as a school nurse and even like Diane's role community services are being stretched very very far like we're literally being stressed stretched to the point that majority of the work we do is safeguarding only and we're not being able to deliver the career, the, we're not being able to deliver the adequate care, the ad- well, why can't I speak? We're not being able to deliver the adequate care that we want to give because our caseloads are so huge and outdated and there is a lot waiting on it. Yeah, and I think for me, as someone who's in the community right now. Yeah. And it's one of those ones where you have to look at the bigger picture, you know. Mm-hmm. When I think about my workload, how can I remember 300 children? How can I then also be expected to take on new referrals again? Yeah. And, and give an adequate assessment, an adequate referral, and then keep up to date with those families? How? 
And then what happens is the families that are universal, who basically have no issues socially and are doing well and coping, kind of get left out because there's no mm-hmm. problem, supposedly. And the ones who are vulnerable and have social issues and need a lot more support get all your time. And is that really fair? No, it's not. So where do we go from there? Like, it's just it's just so difficult. Like, on both sides of the spectrum, like, everywhere is understaffed. As we know, there's now, like, a 40, no, 40, a 50,000 vacancies for the NHS. Where are they going to get filled from? These are just nursing vacancies. Like, what happens now? And I think that's the problem. We all have so many questions. We all have so many unanswered questions as well and no one can give solutions and I I feel like for me personally a lot of the management that I'm under ask us for solutions ask us what we think is best but every time we suggest I don't feel like it's taken on board if you get what I mean and that's where the frustration seeps in because I'm on the shop floor so I'm telling you what it's like being here in fact I'm new eyes in your trust so I can see from a completely different perspective but yet it's falling on deaf ears. So now, where do, what, what do you want me to do now? Do you think managers and like as we go higher up, up, higher up, they just don't care, or do you feel like they've done what they've done their stint as you know on shop floor, and they're like, no, this is not your problem. I think it's one of two things. A, someone lose touch with reality. They're so far up the food chain, they actually forget what it's like to be on the shop floor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them haven't been on the shop floor for 5, 10, 15 years, some 20. Because some people get to executive level and they chill there to retirement. Literally, yeah. they're bummed and printed in the chair by the time they get up. Right? So they have no idea what's actually been going on since they left in 2001, for example. Do you know what? That being said, yeah, I think back to when I was doing to like when I was working elsewhere and the director of nursing has made it a thing that once every two weeks, everyone who's non-clinical has to do a clinical shift. But obviously it's not the grass is always greener on the same side or the other side, but community is just as hard as acute. However, you can go home and you can, no, so you can leave acute and go home and relax. Obviously, depending on what's happened, you may not relax. That is entirely up to you. But, you know, your caseloads with the community and like they I can't lie. One of my previous teams, they always said to me that community safeguarding in particular is a different is a different kind of worms and lo and behold, they were not lying. The amount of safeguarding you're carrying in these cases, and I'm not even just talking about pediatrics, like can also imagine for the adult staff, like going into homes, the amount of safeguarding also at home, like it is a lot. The responsibility that was placed on our heads is abysmal. Mm. And that's again due to safe unsafe staffing. Because if something goes wrong, who are they going to be quick to blame and throw under the bus? Us. Yeah. You're going to say and it's, and it's a it. problem in health, in social care. Because, and, and, and what happens is, as a multidisciplinary team, people start blaming each other. People start putting the fingers. Mm-hmm. I've not seen them. You've not seen them. I've not written that. You've not written that down. And they were last seen by this person, but then you were meant to go and see them. And instead of it being a an approach where everybody comes together and says, this is why we're struggling, because we're all being shafted in this way it turns into a blame game and unfortunately that plays into the hands of like the media because Mm -hmm. you know how many times do you get negative press about nurses and about midwives and about social workers the professions that are supposed to care and safeguard and protect but are the ones that are literally 
drag through the mud left right and center as and when they want if you get what i mean yeah and um, also you know what i agree because with that like with that being said you look at a lot of community services have actually been two peed over to private sectors and they're in the same they're in the same poo that we're in working for the nhs it's just a different sector it doesn't make it any easier any better it's exactly the same but as a whole, like taking us away just from nursing for a lesson for a minute, it's all the community sector, all the public sector. Like we are all struggling because the money is the money and funding has been pulled from all the different avenues, like Diane said, from social care, from education, from health. It's all been pulled that we're all trying to fight the same battle. But I think again, it's been highlighted even more that, you know, the NHS and other healthcare workers are just not appreciated. And I am tired of fighting day in, day out for my pin. I worked very hard for it and I am going to bloody well keep it because I didn't spend those three years for nothing. And so far I've done a great job and I do a great job and I don't want to lose it because of poor staffing. So how do we combat it? As I, as we said at the right at the beginning, the voting for RCN's vote to strike would have closed. But I can only hope that you that the mem- those of you who are members of the RCN have been lucky enough to vote, have voted and voted for strike because as something as Diane always says, those who must those who don't listen must feel. And sadly it's going to be at the detriment of of patients. But if this is the only way that they're going to understand and hear us and hear what we want, so be it. I'm all here for it. There comes a time when you have to take drastic action. And unfortunately, we're in a position where, I say it's fortunate, we're in a position where we're in a revolution, I believe, where people mm-hmm. are standing up and speaking up about things they're not happy about. Look at George Floyd you know, as an example. Exactly. People are protesting about Black Lives Matter. You know, we've had barristers striking, we've had network rail striking. And it's very, very important that all of us have a chance to make our voices heard and mm-hmm. to make the issue known. And this is one of the areas that's at risk, safe staffing. Safe staffing impacts not only the workforce, but impacts patients. Yeah. And the only way to combat that is, well, if you don't listen, you must feel. Because we have tried talking. We have tried talking in many different ways. Trust me, if you want to hear it in French, we will say it to you in French. If you want to hear it in Spanish, we'll say it to you in Spanish. We'll say it to you in Twi. We'll say it to you in Yoruba. We'll say it to you in many other languages. But you're still not going to listen. So now you're going to have to, you're going to, have to feel the wrath because the time's up and things need to change i mean at the end of the day who is suffering it's the patient suffering and it's the nhs suffering because you're losing out on your workforce you're losing out on people that you actually need because no. at this rate people are legit leaving and going to work in places like tesco's in retail because they have a better quality of life than we do like the amount that we okay, I know I'm taking it back to finances now, but the amount we get paid for what we do does not match. We are very skillful people. Like at this rate, we've all had to go to uni or do some sort of top up to complete to reach a degree level. And you know, yet we still get treated like trash. I think that's the worst part. That's the, I think that's the worst part for me. Is we've studied so hard. When I think of how much I've studied, how much I've suffered, girl, reading, reading these books, girl. For real. 
and then I have to come to work and be told there's not enough staff and then that means I'm going to be running around like a headless chicken mm-hmm. I want to I want to enjoy my patients I want to give good care I want to leave with the knowledge that everything is as it should be mm-hmm. I'm not stressed out I'm worrying about stuff but even then even though you leave the acute and you go home you still think about what you left behind yeah you know so you never stop and when you care you don't stop that's the problem they're literally just like taking whatever they can from us because they know we'll do it but no this is the moment safe stuff in like safe stuff in saves lives that's literally all i can say community acute palliative whatever safe stuff and really does save lives yeah and, and... It saves lives of your workforce mm-hmm. and of your clients but yeah, but guys, with that being said, I think it's time that we wrap it up. You can say thank you for listening. Hopefully, when this comes out, you know, you would all made the correct choice to vote to strike. And I think we will be finding out the results sometime early next week. So let's mm-hmm. cross everything possible and hope that the vote is in our favor because we work damn hard and deserve better things. And definitely, if you're still deciding, you know, make an informed choice, do what's best for you. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, solidarity is what we need. And Mm -hmm. we need to show this government and anyone else who doesn't seem to think that we're worth what we are, Mm -hmm. that it's enough now. And it's time that they sit up and they listen, because if not, they have the blood of patients on their hands. And that sounds so drastic. But it's the truth. It is the truth. I can't agree with Diane more. But guys, as we always say, you can always reach out to us at our email address at the nursing handover at the nursing handover at gmail.com. Our Instagram account at the nursing handover podcast. You've got me for Jerry, it's Jellybean with three L's and two A's. And for Diane, it's DD Lutz with a Z at the end. Mm-hmm. And free feel to feel well. Why can't I speak? Feel free to hit us up as always. And we'll be back next week for another episode. Take guys. Wow, I really can't speak. Take care, guys. Stay safe because this weather has really has really changed. Stay safe, stay warm, and we'll be back with you next week. See you later. Bye, Bye guys. guys.